In this episode, I'm going to be reading Chapter Two. Put your mind to rest while listening as I read a story, a story full of adventure and fun. Feel yourself sinking into your pillow. Take a deep breath. Breathe it out, and count from three, two. One. Relax completely. Review Chapter 1 Anne is accompanied by Mrs. Linday to her supposed boarding house. She then finds that Mrs. Tom Pringle refuses to board her, even though she has done the same thing with the previous principles. Anne Shirley falls in love with the name Windy Poplars and knows that it is the place for her. Anne meets the widows, Aunt Chatty and Aunt Kate, as well as the sometimes grumpy Rebecca Dew, who despises the cat. By avoiding the cat at first, Anne ensures that Rebecca takes a liking to her. P.S. Her room was absolutely beautiful, but going back to Rebecca, she really hates that cat. Chapter 2 Anne of Windy Poplars by L. M. Montgomery Extracts from various letters from the same to the same September 26th Do you know where I go to read your letters? Across the road, into the grove, there is a little dell there where the sun dapples the ferns. A brook meanders through it. There's a twisted mossy tree trunk on which I sit and the most delightful row of young sister birches. After this, when I have a dream of a certain kind, a golden green, crimson veined dream, 
a very dream of dreams. I shall please my fancy with the belief that it came from my secret dell of birches and was born of some mystic union between the slenderest, airiest of the sisters and the crooning brook. I love to sit there and listen to the silence of the grove. Have you ever noticed how many different silences there are, Gilbert? The silence of the woods, of the shore, of the meadows, of the night, of the summer afternoon. All different because all the undertones that threat them are different. I'm sure if I were totally blind and insensitive to heat and cold, I could easily tell you just where I was by the quality of the silence about me. School has been keeping for two weeks now and I've got things pretty well organised, but Mrs. Braddock was right. The Pringles are my problem. And, as yet, I don't see exactly how I'm going to solve it, in spite of my luck, Clovers. As Mrs. Braddock says, they are as smooth as cream, and as slippery. The Pringles are a kind of clan who keep tabs on each other and fight a good bit among themselves, but stand shoulder to shoulder in regard to any outsider. I have come to the conclusion that there are just two kinds of people in Summerside. Those who are Pringles, and those who aren't. My room is full of Pringles, and a good many students, who bear another name, have Pringle blood. The ringleader of them seems to be Jen Pringle, a green-eyed bantling who looks as Becky Sharp must have looked in her young age. I believe she is deliberately organising a subtle campaign of insubordination and disrespect with which I'm going to find it hard to cope. She has a knack of making irresistibly comic faces and when I hear a smothered ripple of laughter over the room behind my back, I know perfectly well what has caused it. But so far, I haven't been able to catch her out in it. She has brains. Two. The little wretch can write compositions that are for cousins to literature and is quite 
brilliant in mathematics. Wu is me. There is a certain sparkle in everything she says or does, and she has a sense of humorous situations, which would be a bond of kinship between us if she hadn't started out by hating me. As it is, I fear it will be a long time before Jen and I can laugh together over anything. Myra Pringle, Jen's cousin, is the beauty of the school, and apparently stupid. She does perpetuate some amusing howlers. As for instance, when she said today in history class that the Indians thought Champlain and his men. Were gods or something inhuman? Socially, the Pringles are what Rebecca Dew calls the E light of Summerside. Already, I have been invited to two Pringle homes for supper, because it is the proper thing to invite a new teacher to supper, and the Pringles are not. Going to emit the required gestures. Last night, I was at James Pringles, the father of the aforesaid Jen. He looks like a college professor, but is in reality stupid and ignorant. He talked a great deal about discipline. Tapping the tablecloth with a finger, the nail of which was not impeccable, and occasionally doing dreadful things to grammar. The summer side high had always required a firm hand, an experienced teacher, male preferred. He was afraid I was a little too young. A fault which time will cure, all too soon," he said sorrowfully. "I didn't say anything because, if I had, I might have said too much. So I was as smooth and creamy as any Pringle of them, or could have been, and contented myself." With looking limpidly at him, and saying inside of myself, "You cantankerous, prejudiced creature," Jen must have got her brains from her mother, when I found myself liking Jen in her parents' presence was a model of decorum. But though her words were polite, her tone was insolent. Every time she said "Miss Shirley," she contrived to make it sound like an insult. And every time she looked at my hair, I felt that it was just plain carroty red. No Pringle, I am certain, 
would ever admit it was auburn. I like the Morton Pringle much better, though. Morton Pringle never really listens to anything you say. He says something to you, and then, while you're replying, he is busy thinking out his next remark. Mrs. Stephen Pringle, the widow Pringle. Summerside abounds in widows. Wrote me a letter yesterday. A nice, polite, poisonous letter. Millie has too much homework. Millie is a delicate child and must not be overworked. Mister Bell never gave her homework. She is a sensitive child that must be understood. Mister Bell understood her so well. Missus Stephen is sure I will too if I try. I do not doubt Missus Stephenson thinks I made Adam Pringle's nose bleed in class today, by reason of which he had to go home, and. I woke up last night and couldn't go to sleep again because I remembered, and I hadn't dotted in a question I wrote on the board. I'm certain Jen Pringle would notice it, and a whisper will go around the clan about it. Rebecca Dew says that all the Pringles. Will invite me to supper, except the old ladies at Maplehurst, and then ignore me for ever afterwards. As they are the elite, this may mean that socially I may be banned in Summerside. Well, we'll see. The battle is on, but it is not yet either won or lost. Still, I feel rather unhappy over it all. You can't reason with prejudice. I'm still just as I used to be in my childhood. I can't bear to have people not liking me. It isn't pleasant. To think that the families of half my pupils hate me, and for no fault of my own, it is the injustice that stings me. There go more italics, but a few italics really do relieve your feelings. Apart from the Pringles, I like my pupils very much. There are some clever, ambitious, hard-working ones who are really interested in getting an education. Lewis Allen is paying for his board by doing homework at his boarding house, and isn't a bit ashamed of it. And Sophie Sinclair rides bareback on her father's old grey mare. Six miles in, and six miles out every day.
there's pluck for you. If I can help a girl like that, am I to mind the Pringles? The trouble is, if I can't win the Pringles, I won't have much chance of helping anybody. But I love Windy Poplars. It isn't a boarding house, it's a home. And they like me. Even Dusty Miller likes me, though he sometimes disapproves of me and shows it by deliberately sitting with his back turned toward me, occasionally cocking a golden eye over his shoulder at me to see how I'm taking it. I don't pet him much when Rebecca do is around because it really does irritate her. By day, he is a homely, comfortable, meditative animal, but he is decidedly a weird creature at night. Rebecca says it is because he is never allowed to stay out after dark. She hates to stand in the backyard and call him. She says the neighbours will all be laughing at her. She calls in such fierce, stentorial tones that she really can be heard all over town on a still night, shouting for Puss! 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 The widows would have a conniption if Dusty Miller wasn't in when they went to bed. Nobody knows what I've gone through on account of that cat. Nobody. Rebecca has assured me. The widows are going to wear well. Every day, I like them better. Aunt Kate doesn't believe in reading novels, but informs me that she does not propose to censor my reading matter. Aunt Chatty loves novels. She has a hidey hole where she keeps them. She smuggles them in from town libraries together with a pack of cards for solitaire and anything else she doesn't want. Aunt Kate to see. It is in a chair seat which nobody but Aunt Chaddy knows is more than a chair seat. She has shared the secret with me because I strongly suspect she wants me to aid and abet her in the aforesaid smuggling. There shouldn't really be any need for hidey holes at Windy Poplars, for I never saw a house with so many mysterious cupboards. Though, to be sure, Rebecca Do won't let them be mysterious. She is always cleaning them out ferociously. A house can't keep itself clean, 
she says sorrowfully when either the widows protest. I'm sure she would make short work of a novel or a pack of cards if she found them. They are both a horror to her or to dogs. Rebecca Du says cards are the devil's books and novels even worse. The only thing Rebecca ever reads, apart from her Bible, are the society columns of the Montreal Guardian. She loves to pore over the houses and furniture and doings of millionaires. Just fancy soaking in a golden bathtub, Miss Shirley, she said wistfully. But she's really an old duck. She has produced from somewhere a comfortable old wing chair, a faded brocade that just fits my kinks, and says, This is your chair. We'll keep it for you. And she won't let Dusty Miller sleep on it. Lest I get hairs on my school skirt and give the Pringles something to talk about. The whole three are very much interested in my circlet of pearls and what it signifies. Aunt Kate showed me her engagement ring. She can't wear it because it has grown too small set with turquoises but poor Aunt Chaddy owned to me with tears in her eyes that she had never had an engagement ring. Her husband thought it an unnecessary expenditure. She was in my room at the time giving her face a bath in buttermilk. She does it every night to preserve her complexion and has sworn me to secrecy because she doesn't want Aunt Kate to know. She would think it ridiculously vain in a woman of my age and I'm sure Rebecca Du thinks that no Christian woman should try to be beautiful. I used to slip down to the kitchen to do it after Kate had gone to sleep, but I was always afraid of Rebecca Du coming in. She has ears like a cat's, even when she sleeps. If I could just slip in here every night and do it, oh, thank you, my dear. I have found out a little about our neighbourhood and our neighbours, the Evergreens. Mrs Campbell, who was a Pringle, is 80. I haven't said that I'd seen her yet, but from what I gathered so far, she is a very grim old lady. She has a maid. Martha Monkman, almost as ancient and grim 
as herself, who is generally referred to as Mrs. Campbell's woman. And she has her very granddaughter, a pretty little thing, little Elizabeth Grayson, living with her, Elizabeth, on one I've never laid eyes in spite of my two weeks sojourn, is eight years old and goes to the public school by the back way, a shortcut through the backyards, so I never encounter her going or coming. Her mother, who is dead, was a granddaughter of Mrs. Campbell, who brought her up also. Her parents being dead. She married a certain Pierce Grayson, a Yankee, as Mrs. Rachel Linday would say. She died when Elizabeth was born, and as Pierce Grayson had to leave America at once to take charge of a branch of his firm's business in Paris, the baby was sent home to old Mrs. Campbell. The story goes that he couldn't bear the sight of her because she had cost her mother's life and has never taken any notice of her. This, of course, may be sheer gossip because neither Mrs. Campbell nor the woman ever opens her lips about him. Rebecca Dew says they are far too strict with little Elizabeth and she hasn't much of a time of it with them. She isn't like other children, far too old for eight years, the things that she says sometimes. Rebecca, she says to me one day, suppose just as you were ready to get into bed, you feel your ankle nipped. No wonder she's afraid to go to bed in the dark. And they make her do it. Mrs. Campbell says there are to be no cowards in her house. They watch her like two cats watching a mouse and boss her within an inch of her life. If she makes a speck of noise, they nearly pass out. It's hush, hush, all the time. I tell you, that child is being hush, hushed to death. And what is to be done about it? What indeed? I feel like I'd like to see her. She seems to me a bit pathetic, Aunt Kate says. She's well looked after from a physical point of view. What Aunt Kate really said was, they feed and dress her well. But a child can't live by bread alone. I can never forget what my own life was before I came to Green Gables. I'm going home next Friday evening to spend two beautiful days in Avonlea. The only drawback will be 
that everybody I see will ask me how I like teaching in Summerside. But think of Green Gables now, Gilbert, the lake of shining waters with a blue mist on it. The maples across the brook beginning to turn scarlet. The ferns golden brown in the haunted wood and the sunset shadows in Lanover's lane, darling spot. I find it in my heart to wish I were there now with guess whom? Do you know, Gilbert, there are times when I strongly suspect that I love you. Windy Poplars, Spooks Lane, S Side, October 10th. Honoured and respected, sir. That is how a love letter of Auntie Chatty's grandmother began. Isn't it delicious? What a thrill of superiority it must have given the grandfather. Wouldn't you really prefer it to Gilbert, darling, etc.? But on the whole, I think I'm glad you're not the grandfather or a grandfather. It's wonderful to think we're young and have our whole lives before us together, isn't it? Several pages omitted, Anne's pen being evidently neither sharp, stub, nor rusty. I'm sitting on the window seat in the tower, looking out into the trees, waving against an amber sky, and beyond them to the harbour. Last night, I had such a lovely walk with myself. I, I really had to go somewhere, for it was just a trifle dismal at Windy Poplar's. Aunt Chatty was crying in the sitting room because her feelings had been hurt, and Aunt Kate was crying in her bedroom because it was the anniversary of Captain Amazer's death, and Rebecca Dew was crying in the kitchen for no reason that I could discover. I've never seen Rebecca do cry before. But when I tried tactfully to find out what was wrong, she pettishly wanted to know if a body couldn't enjoy a cry when she felt like it. So I folded my tent and stole away, leaving her to her enjoyment. I went out and down the harbour road. There was such a nice, frosty, octobery smell in the air, blended with the delightful odour of newly ploughed fields. I walked on and on 
until twilight had deepened into a moonlight autumn night. I was alone, but not lonely. I held a series of imaginary conversations with imaginary comrades and thought out so many epigrams that I was agreeably surprised at myself. I couldn't help enjoying myself in spite of my Pringle worries. The spirit moves me to utter a few yowls regarding the Pringles. I hate to admit it, but things are not going any too well in Summerside High. There's no doubt that a cabal has been organized against me. For one thing, homework is never done by any of the Pringles or half Pringles, and there's no use in appealing to the parents. They are suave, polite, evasive. I know all the pupils who are not Pringles or half Pringles like me. But the Pringle virus of disobedience is undermining the morale of the whole room. One morning, I found my desk turned inside out and upside down. Nobody knew who did it, of course, and no one could or would tell who left it as it was. When I opened it, an artificial snake jumped. But every Pringle in the school screamed with laughter over my face. I suppose I did look wildly startled. Jen Pringle comes late for school half the time, always with some perfectly watertight excuse, delivered politely with an insolent tilt to her mouth. She passes the notes in class under my very nose. I found a peeled onion in the pocket of my coat when I put it on today. I should love to lock that girl up on bread and water until she learned how to behave herself. The worst thing to date was the caricature of myself I found on the back board one morning. Done in white chalk with scarlet hair. Everybody denied doing it. Jen all among the rest. But I knew Jen was the only pupil in the room who could draw like that. It was done well. My nose, that as you know, has always been my one pride and joy, was humbacked, and my mouth was the mouth of a vinegary spinster who had been teaching a school full of Pringles for 30 years. But it was me. I woke up at three o'clock that night 
the things we rive recollection over at night are seldom wicked things, just humiliating ones. All sorts of things are being said. I am accused of marking down Hattie Pringle's examination papers just because she is a Pringle. I'm said to laugh when the children make mistakes. Well, I did laugh when Fred Pringle defined a centurion as a man who had lived a hundred years. I couldn't help it. James Pringle is saying, There is no discipline in the school, no discipline whatsoever. And a report is being circulated that I am a foundling. I'm beginning to encounter the Pringle antagonism in other quarters, socially as well as educationally. Summerside seems to be under the Pringle thumb. No wonder they are called the royal family. I wasn't invited to Alice Pringle's walking party last Friday. And when Mrs. Frank Pringle got up a tea in aid of a church project, Rebecca Dew informs me that the ladies are going to build the new spire. I was the only girl in the Presbyterian church who was not asked to take a table. I have heard that the minister's wife, who is a newcomer in Summerside, suggested asking me to sing. In the choir, simply someone made an excuse that it would leave such a skeleton that the choir simply couldn't carry on. Of course, I'm not the only one of the teachers who has trouble with pupils. When the other teachers sent theirs up to me to be disciplined, how I hate that word, half of them are Pringles and half Pringles. But there is never any complaint made about them. Two evenings ago, I kept Jen in after school to do some work she had deliberately left undone. Ten minutes later, the carriage from Maplehurst drew up before the schoolhouse and Miss Ellen was at the door. A beautifully dressed, sweetly smiling old lady with elegant black lace mitts and a fine cork-like nose looking as if she had just stepped out of a 1814 bandbox. She was so sorry, but could she have Jen? She was going to visit friends in Low Vale and had promised to take Jen. Jen went off triumphantly. 
and I realized afresh the forces arrayed against me. In my pessimistic moods, I think the Pringles are a compound of Sloanes and Pies. But I know they're not. I feel that I could like them if they were not my enemies. They are, for the most part, a frank, jolly, loyal set. I could even like Miss Ellen. I've never seen Miss Sarah. Miss Sarah has not left Maplehurst for ten years. Too delicate, or thinks she is, says Rebecca Dew with a sniff. But there ain't anything the matter with her pride. All the Pringles are proud, but those two old girls pass everything. You should hear them talking. Well, their old father, Captain Abraham Pringle, was a fine old fellow. His brother, Myron, wasn't quite so fine, but you don't hear the Pringles talking much about him. But I'm desperate and afraid you're going to have a hard time with them all. When they make up their mind about anything or anybody, they've never been known to change it. But keep your chin up, Miss Shirley. Keep your chin up. I wish I could get Miss Ellen's recipe for pound cake, <sighs> sighed Aunt Chatty. She's promised to meet time and time again, but I never receive it. It's an old English family recipe. They're so exclusive about their recipes. In wild, fantastic dreams, I see myself compelling Miss Ellen to hand that recipe over to Aunt Chatty on bended knees and making Jen mind her P's and Q's. The maddening thing is that I could easily make Jen do it myself if her whole clan weren't backing her up in her devilry. Two pages omitted. Your obedient servant, Anne Shirley. P.S. That was how Aunt Chaddy's grandmother signed her love letters. October 17th. We heard today that there had been a burglary at the other end of the town last night. A house was entered and some money and a dozen silver spoons stolen. So Rebecca Dew has gone up to Mrs. Hamilton's to see if she can borrow a dog. She will tie him on the back veranda and she advises me to lock up my engagement ring. By the way, I found out why Rebecca Dew cried.
it seems there had been a domestic convulsion. Dusty Miller had misbehaved again. And Rebecca Dew told Aunt Kate she would really have to do something about that cat. He was wearing her to a fiddle string. It was the third time in a year and she knew he did it on purpose. And Aunt Kate said that if Rebecca would always let the cat out when he meowed, there would be no danger of his misbehaving. Well, this is the last straw, said Rebecca Dew. Consequently, tears. The Pringle situation grows a little more acute every week. Something very impertinent was written across one of my books yesterday and Homer Pringle turned handsprings all the way down the aisle when leaving school. Also, I got an anonymous letter recently full of nasty, unintentious somehow. I don't blame Jen for either the book or the letter. Imp as she is, there are things she wouldn't stoop to. Rebecca Dew is furious and I shudder to think what she wrote, what she would do to the Pringles if she had them in her power. Nero's wish isn't to be compared to it. I really don't blame her for there are times when I feel myself that I could cheerfully hand any and all of the Pringles a poisoned feltra of the Borgias brewing. I don't think I've told you much about the other teachers. There are two, you know. The vice principal, Catherine Brooke of the junior room and George Mackay of the prep. Of George, I have little to say. He is a shy, good-natured lad of twenty with shieldings and misty islands. His grandfather was Isle of Skye and does very well with the preps. So far as I know him, I like him. But I'm afraid I'm going to have a hard time liking Catherine Brooke. Catherine is a girl of, I think, about 28, though she looks 35. I've been told she cherished hopes of promotion to the principalships, and I suppose she resents my getting it, especially teacher. I'm considered to her senior. She's a good teacher, a bit of a martinet, but she's not popular with anyone and doesn't worry over it. She doesn't seem to have any friends or relations 
and boards in a gloomy-looking house on grabby little Temple Street. She dresses very dowdily, never goes out socially, and is said to be mean. She is very sarcastic, and her pupils dread her biting remarks. I'm told that her way of raising her thick black eyebrows and drawling at them reduces them to a pulp. I wish I could work it on the Pringles, but I really shouldn't like to govern by fear as she does. I want my pupils to love me, in spite of the fact that she has apparently no trouble in making them toe the line, she is constantly sending some of them up to me, especially Pringles. I know she does it purposefully, and I feel miserable certain that she exults in my difficulties and would be glad to see me worsted. Rebecca Dew says that no one can make friends with her. The widows have invited her several times to Sunday supper. The dear souls are always doing that for lonely people and always have the most delicious chicken salad for them. But she never came, so they have given it up because, as Aunt Kate says, there are limits. There are rumours that she is very clever and can sing and recite Elocute a la Rebecca Du, but will not do either. Aunt Chatty once asked her to recite at a church supper. We thought she refused very ungraciously, said Aunt Kate. Just growled, said Rebecca Du. Catherine has a deep throaty voice, almost a man's voice, and it does sound like a growl when she isn't in good humour. She isn't pretty, but she might make more of herself. She is dark and swarty, with magnificent black hair, always dragged back from her high forehead and coiled in a clumsy knot at the base of her neck. Her eyes don't match her hair, being a clear light amber under her black brows. She has ears she needn't be ashamed to show and the most beautiful hands I've ever seen. Also, she has a well-cut mouth. But the dresses she wore was terrible. Seems to have a positive genius for getting the colours and lines she should not wear. Dull dark greens and drab greys when she is too sallow for greens and greys and stripes which make her tall lean figure even taller and leaner. And her clothes always look as if she'd slept in them. Her manner is very repellent, 
as Rebecca Dew would say, she always has a chip on her shoulder. Every time I pass her on the stairs, I feel that she is thinking horrid things about me. Every time I speak to her, she makes me feel I've said the wrong thing. And yet, I'm very sorry for her. Though I know she would resent my pity furiously. And I can't do anything to help her because she doesn't want to be helped. She is really hateful to me. One day, when we three teachers were all in the staff room, I did something which it seemed transgressed one of the unwritten laws of the school. And Catherine said, cuttingly, Perhaps you should think you are above rules. Miss Shirley, at another time, when I was suggesting some changes, which I thought would be for the good of the school, she said with a scornful smile, I'm not interested in fairy tales. Once, when I said some nice things about her work and methods, she said, And what is it to be the pill? in all this jam but the thing that annoyed me most well one day when i happened to pick up a book of hers in the staff room and glanced at the fly leaf i said i'm glad you spell your name with a k catherine it is so much more alluring than catherine just as k is ever so much gypsier a letter than smug c she made no response but the next note she sent up was signed catherine brooke with a c i sneezed all the way home i really would give up trying to be friends with her if i hadn't a queer unaccountable feeling that under all her brusqueness and aloofness, she is actually starved for companionship. Altogether, what with Catherine's antagonism and the Pringle attitude, I don't think just what I'd do if it wasn't for dear Rebecca Do and your letters and little Elizabeth. Because I've got acquainted with little Elizabeth, and she is a darling. Three nights ago, I took the glass of milk to the wall door, and little Elizabeth herself was there to get it instead of the woman, her head just coming above the solid part of the door, so that her face was framed in the ivy. She is small, pale, golden, and wistful, her eyes looking at me through the autumn twilight were large and golden hazed. Her silver hair was parted in the middle, sleeked plainly down over her head with a circular calm and fell in waves on her shoulders. She wore a pale blue gingham dress,
and the expression of a princess of elf land. She had what Rebecca Dew calls a delicate air and gave me the impression of a child who was more or less undernourished, not in body but in soul, more of a moonbeam than a sunbeam. And this is Elizabeth, I said. Not tonight, she answered gravely. This is my night for being Betty, because I love everything the world tonight. I was Elizabeth last night, and tomorrow night I'll probably be Beth. It all depends on how I feel. There was the touch of the kindred spirit for you. I thrilled to it at once. How very nice to have a name you can change. Little Elizabeth nodded. I can make so many names out of it. Elsie, Betty, Bess, Elisa and Lisbeth, Beth but not Lizzie. I never can feel like Lizzie. Who could? I said. Do you think it's silly of me, Miss Shirley? Grandmother and the woman do. Not silly at all. Very wise and very delightful, I said. Little Elizabeth made saucer eyes at me over the rim of her glass. I felt that I was being weighed in some secret spiritual balance and presented, I realised, thankfully that I had not been found wanting. For little Elizabeth asked a favour of me and little Elizabeth does not ask favours of people she does not like. Would you mind lifting up the cat and letting me pat him? She asked shyly. Dusty Miller was rapping against my legs. I like kittens better than babies, she said, looking at me with an old air of defiance, as if she knew I would be shocked but tell the truth she must. Have you a kitten of your own? Elizabeth shook her head. Oh no, grandmother doesn't like cats and the woman hates them. The woman is out tonight, so that is why I could come for the milk. I love coming. Because Rebecca drew is such an agreeable person. Are you sorry she didn't come tonight? I laughed. Little Elizabeth shook her head. No, you are very agreeable too. I've been wanting to get quanted with you. But I was afraid it mightn't happen before tomorrow comes. We stood there and talked while Elizabeth sipped her milk daintily and she told me all about tomorrow. 
The woman had told her that tomorrow never comes, but Elizabeth knows better. It will come sometime, some beautiful morning. She will just wake up and find it is tomorrow, not today, but tomorrow, and then things will happen, wonderful things. She may even have a day to do exactly as she likes. In with nobody watching her, though, I think Elizabeth feels that is too good to happen, even in tomorrow. Or she may find out what is at the end of the harbour road, that wandering, twisting road, like an ice red snake, that leads. So Elizabeth thinks to the end of the world. Perhaps the island of happiness is there. Elizabeth feels sure. There is an island of happiness, somewhere, where all the ships that never come back are anchored, and she will find it when tomorrow comes. And when tomorrow comes, said Elizabeth, I will have a million dogs and forty-five cats. I told grandmother that when she wouldn't let me have a kitten, Miss Shirley, and she was angry and said, "I'm not accustomed to be spoken to like that." Miss Impertinence. I was sent to bed without supper, but I didn't mean to be impertinent, and I couldn't sleep, Miss Shirley, because the woman told me that. She knew a child once that died in her sleep after being impertinent. When Elizabeth had finished her milk, there came a sharp tapping at some unseen window behind the spruces. I think we have been watched all the time. My elf maiden ran. Her golden head glimmering along the dark spruce aisle, until she vanished. She's a fanciful little creature," said Rebecca Dew, when I told her of my adventure. Really, it somehow had the quality of an adventure, Gilbert. One day, she said to me, "Are you scared of lions, Rebecca Dew?" I never met any, so I can't tell you," says I. "There will be any amount of lions in tomorrow," says she, "but they will be nice, friendly lions. Child, he'll turn into eyes if you don't look like that," says I. She was looking clean, through me. At something she saw in that tomorrow of hers, I'm thinking deep thoughts, Rebecca Dew. She says, "The trouble with that child is she doesn't laugh enough." I remembered Elizabeth had never laughed once during our talk. I feel that she hasn't learned how. The great house is so still and lonely. And laughterless, it looks dull and gloomy, even now when the world is a riot of autumn colour. Little Elizabeth 
is doing too much listening to lost whispers. I think one of my missions in Summerside will be to teach her how to laugh. Your tenderest, most faithful friend, Anne Shirley, P.S. More of Aunt Chatty's grandmother. Good night and sleep tight. Don't let the bed bugs bite.